When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Welcome everyone to another episode of The Places Between. I'm Wendy and I'm so excited to have you for another episode to talk through navigating the transitions of life. In today's episode, we're going to dive in and get to know more of Susanna's story. She's going to be diving in to a lot of episodes with me as a co-host I wanted her to share a little bit more of her journey, her trials, but amazing redemption. I hope her story brings you some incredible moments of encouragement as you dive in. So grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and dive in with us to the places between. Susanna, I'm so excited to have you on this. Hey, Wen. Okay, so as we dive in and get to know you a little bit more, since you're going to be our co-host, yes. what I want to start with is tell us who Susanna is. Can you give us a snapshot of what the world sees? Sure. So right now, the world sees mostly a mom. (laughs) I'm a mom. I have two little ones, Tallulah, who's almost five, and a little boy, Wade, who's almost two. And then hopefully we'll add more somehow. I'm really a stay-at-home mom now. That's kind of what I consider myself. Mm -hmm. And my background was in the entertainment industry and also a little bit in education. Then as I transitioned out of my career, I worked for a church and in ministry and writing for Christian nonprofits and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So tell us now what city you live in and tell us what city you used to live in. I live in Los Angeles. From my time in college, I lived in New York City. And then also grew up in Orange County, which is just about 32 miles or so south of L.A. So you're a Cali girl through and through. I am through (laughs) and through. Let's talk about identity, whether it's good or bad. What do you think your life has journeyed through Mm -hmm. in order to bring you to where you are today? And who are you today? And what do you think shaped that narrative? I kind of look at my life, I think like a lot of us do in seasons. Who I was as a little girl, I think my natural self before all the things, I was pretty carefree and sensitive, really kooky, which I'm sure like you and a lot of my friends are like still am, (laughs) but just like very free spirited, you know, just really geared towards creativity. Somewhere between six or eight, a really intense sadness kind of fell upon me mm-hmm. and and sadness would almost like not even be the right word it just felt like I was grieving 
And I don't think I knew that was a feeling until much later in life. But I remember being eight years old and staring really intently at myself in the mirror and thinking, I see her, but I don't feel her. Hmm. I felt so disconnected from the little girl in the, in the mirror and really realizing like I'm numb. Something deep in me is wrong. And vaguely, I have a memory of being six years old and having a really intense depressive experience. But that experience at six feels very vague to at eight, very clearly remembering, staring at myself in the air and just wanting to touch myself because I couldn't feel a connection to that person. So that's very intense to who I was in. And then that kind of created in me this like realization that how people responded to that sad and sure person was very different to how people respond to a very bubbly, happy person. So Mm -hmm. I would say about eight, definitely, I kind of began to live this kind of double life in the sense of who I was in front of people and what I felt internally. Interesting. Yeah. And so that really went on until I was about 13 that I found the words to say to my mom, something's wrong. I grew up in a single home. So I think that really shapes us rather than having that traditional mother child relationship or parents child relationship. You kind of have more of a partnership. I often, I don't think that's anything the parent does. I think that's just naturally kind of what happens. Kids from a single parent home can kind of feel a responsibility to help share in the responsibilities, even though their parents aren't asking them to. My mom certainly wasn't asking me to. So when I was about 13 years old, I told my mom, I feel gray. And again, I remember very, very vividly just being like, I have to say this now. I can't keep it in. I would watch people at school, you know, even in elementary school, I would watch kids have fun. And I would think, oh, I bet they're faking. Because I knew that when I had fun or I was playing, there was a part of it that was really just for show. I wasn't really having fun. I was doing what little kids are supposed to do. You actually thought that it was normal for people to do, to feel one way at home and act another way outside to the rest of the world. And I would act it everywhere. It wasn't even just, it was in front of anyone. There was a real disconnection, obviously less with my mom, but even then it was just how I was coping, even for Mm -hmm. myself, how I was coping. It would have been far too painful to sit and feel what I was feeling as a little girl. I really actually needed to like be able to step away and engage with the world more. I would say normally it would be Mm -hmm. a good way to say it. Wow. Okay. So jumping into your calling, because I know you very well, we were, for those of you that don't know, we were freshman roommates in college. So Susanna and I have been friends for a few years. We've been (laughs) Um, friends for five years. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As we look at your calling, I know that for you, you felt strong about your calling from an early age. For those that are listening, let's talk about your calling. What is that like? Yeah. So from a very early age, I wanted to be an actor very early. And I was very ashamed of that. I Mm -hmm. really found great embarrassment in it. I really would pray, God, please let me want to be a doctor. Like Mm -hmm. I knew (laughs) I was not geared towards science, but I was just so ashamed. And I think part of that kind of is connected to the the sorrow I felt as a little girl. 
and self-hatred grew really, really quickly in me. And so I think that's why I knew I wanted to be an actor and it was very hard for me to reconcile that and to be okay with that. So I would say about like 14, 15, I knew. I already had like such severe self-hatred. So that just exasperated it. You know, I kind of perceived actors as being people that were very selfish or very ambitious and not that ambition is wrong, but like ambitious to be wealthy and to have things and things like that. And I really naturally kind of wanted to be kind of a servant, kind of Mm -hmm. like geared towards that. I think that's what I saw of doctors. They serve people. They're helping people. In high school, my high school drama teacher gave me an acting book by Uta Hagen, famous Uta Hagen, and it talked about actors being a servant to their audience. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, then I can do that. I can understand that, that you're serving the words and you're stirring, serving the writer and, and also the audience. But around that same time, I met my biological father. Oh, wow. And that was probably one of the most disastrous experiences of my life. And I found out that his family, my great aunt and uncle were vaudevillian performers. His brother was an actor. His father was a writer. He had done some acting. And then my grandmother on his side had a, was a ballet dancer. And I was very into ballet growing up and really would have loved to do that professionally. Just didn't have the talent, but that's what she was. So, so that partnering of like, oh man, I have finally, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to try. And then me to my biological father, which was just like very painful. And it made it even more painful that that is what I was naturally geared to do talent wise, kind of ability wise. And then it was that side of my family. He did all those things and his family Mm -hmm. did all those things. And, and he was not a safe person. I mean, we talked about the enemy using things in our lives to really kind of attack us internally so you have this kind of like point of impact of like what I'm naturally geared to and then it coming in from this side that wasn't safe for me mm-hmm. and then not only that is he really loved the Lord he worked in ministry and things like that and so then you attach that and it was really disastrous and it really set me on a on a challenging and painful path and it really I don't feel anything negative towards him at all but that's just how it happened and then from Mm -hmm. here I still believed God this was what I was geared towards and kind of grew up believing if God wants you to do something you do it I majored in theater for a year with you at Biola and then got into a conservatory in New York and then moved to New York and was acting there through 9-11 and then Mm -hmm. graduated a few months after that and came back to LA predominantly because I was very very ill with depression Hmm. So that depression really lingered through me through about 27. And then I had a pretty incredible spiritual experience that lifted (laughs) the intensity of it. Wow. Okay. Well, I definitely want to hear about that. Um, Let's talk about being in your 20s and you experience this time in New York. You think you're going to be on stage to be an actress. You end up coming back to LA. Yeah. You have a serious boyfriend at the time and you're kind of navigating going into Hollywood or how did you navigate that? I did not want to live in Los Angeles. That was a rough transition for me. I thought I would stay in New York forever. Thank God I didn't. I think God Mm -hmm. really saved my life by having me have to come home and being with my mom at that point. And then I made the transition to LA. I got a job casting for Family Feud of all things. 
so random. Wow. And that actually moved me up to LA a bit after I moved back from New York. But within my first week of living back in California, I got my first film audition. And looking back, I remember being on set and being like, I don't like this. Interesting. But because I knew my depression was so intense and I kind of felt like I couldn't really trust my emotions. So I continued to pursue it, got into the theater company, met my my boyfriend at that time who became my ex-husband, became a husband, then my ex-husband. And yeah, and then I worked and really had day jobs and worked and Hollywood is kind of like theater was kind of like my world. And that's really what I did for a long time. Total yeah. struggling and starving artist. They're wonderful people. It's a great community. I'm not. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. During the time that you were acting right. and writing and obviously dating your ex, what kind of thoughts did you have in terms of like how life was going? Like, did you have dreams for where you were going? Yeah. So how were you getting through the daily transitions? My hope and my desire for my life had kind of been stuck at wanting to live in New York and do theater in, in New York. So when I got came back to LA, there was still a disconnection between like what I wanted and what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I kept pursuing acting because I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And I like stopped checking in with myself. You know, I still mm-hmm. went to church and things like that. But me managing depression was such a huge thing in my life that I would get some traction and trajectory and then I would stop taking my meds or, or something like that. And I would get knocked all the way back. And so my life then would become about treatment again. And then it would get further along. And I was, I was so blessed. I had managers and agents and teams around me and acting coaches and people who would make phone calls for me and believed so passionately in my ability. But I had such self-hatred still at that time. And I, Mm -hmm. and then I would get healthy and then I would fall back down and I struggled with an eating disorder. I mean, it was just such a culmination of things, Jesus, and also writing. And this is really unique because I didn't know I wanted to be a, a writer yet. But I would write out and like talk out, give myself little sermons about how God was going to bring me out of that point in my life. Oh, wow. So I would literally write like, sounds so crazy now, but I would write like articles about myself and what God did in my life to get me out of that place. Turns out years later, I was writing articles about other people, right? (laughs) Like, which is very amazing how God used all those things. But I would just need to write hopeful things about what God might do, how God might lift, me, might lift me out of whatever season I was in. And so really, I think how I made it was believing God was powerful enough to change my circumstances, no matter how dark they were. And that was absolutely Amen. the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love that. So let's talk about that miraculous moment that you referenced just a couple minutes yeah, ago. What, what was the breaking point and what happened? I was 27 years old. I was going to Mosaic, which I'm sure many people know of Mosaic and Erwin McManus. And so I was driving. I was engaged to my first husband at the time. And I was driving to Pasadena, one of their locations. And I was just in so much pain depression-wise. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, God... God, I just want someone to ask me what has been a constant in my life, just so I can say God and depression. I think it wasn't communicated to me previously that those can exist at the same time. Sure, sure. You know? And it seemed weird because here I was living with a boyfriend 
but I was still really into like going to church and God and things like that, which seems so disconnected. Right. And I knew that. And I was engaged at that time to him. And that in itself seems really odd. I can explain that a little more later. And I'm just like so much pain. Right. So I get to the Bible study group. Kim McManus, which is Ermin McManus's wife, was leading the Bible study. And the last question of the night, which had nothing to do with what we were talking about, the last question of the night verbatim was, what has been a constant in your life? Oh, wow. So I get out God and depression. And I mean, I barely get out the word. And I am just sobbing, sobbing. I, I was like tears. I didn't think I could stop crying. And I remember... Kim and another woman named Susan opened their Bibles and they put their hands on me and they started praying scripture over me. Hmm. I'd never had that. I'd never heard people pray scripture before or things like that. And I mean, I began to shake tremendously and things got quiet kind of around me. I could like hear distant noises, but everything that was happening was like quiet. Hmm. And I have no idea how long they prayed for me. And then it was done. And I remember going home and feeling like, did that just happen? Like, did they just ask the question and just feeling lighter or feeling different? The next morning I woke up, this is still the part that I'm like, it's even hard for me to believe, but my clothes were loose. Like my, my jeans were baggy. And I found that so weird, but it was like things had been lifted off of me, like you know, I didn't grow up in a, any kind of experience where they talked about deliverance or anything of these things. And so, and then I went to an intensive prayer. But wow. from that yeah. night on, my depression was never the same. It was never as dark or as deep or as paralyzing ever again. doesn't mean I didn't have, I mean, I went through a lot of struggles after, right? But it was nothing in comparison. Wow. I mean, to explain how life-changing my depression was, I remember my mom saying to me once she couldn't believe I lived through my 20s. That's how intense it was. I don't think I would have survived the next season of my life if God hadn't done something to lift that heavy depression from my life. Because it really, I lived with it by that point for, you know. 20 years. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I want to talk through like some incredible redemptive moments that you've gotten to live through. Yes. So you're married to your first husband. So I marry my first husband. And what happens? And so I marry my first husband and there's a lot of substance abuse issues. And it was not a safe place for either of us. How I dealt with his substance abuse issues was my eating disorder, bulimia. And, And I think there is something to say about like who you meet when you're in a really dark place, right? Mm -hmm. Like health attracts health often. And unhealthy can often attract unhealthy, you know, it didn't, you know, he's also a brilliant actor. So that's attractive, you know? (laughs) So that marriage really needed to separate in order for either of us to find health. And he was really clear, if we separate, we divorce. And I really didn't believe that was true. But I knew I couldn't live through this marriage. Like, I didn't know how I was going to survive. If there wasn't an end to his drinking, I didn't know how to, how to be in it. Mm. So I, we were living separately and I said to the Lord, I said, God, I cannot be the one to end this marriage. It cannot be my decision. And so I texted my husband and I said, are you sure you don't want to go to a counseling again, et cetera, et cetera. And he wrote back to me, this is not your decision. No. 
And yeah. again, God just speaking so specifically into what I am asking. And so that marriage ended obviously a very hard time, mm-hmm. to say the least. We could do a whole podcast on the process of depression. One of those points in particular, I remember if anything about my life comes through, it's the specificity of God in this mm. with us. I remember Amen. one of those nights in particular, I'm packing up this apartment and, you know, I was with him for eight and a half years. So I'm packing up my life. I would get real fearful and real paralyzed. And I would just be like, God, I need to know you're here. And a wave of calm would fall over me. I have so many specific experiences of God connecting with me in those moments of terror and just changing the atmosphere almost. And so that marriage ended. I knew clearly that I I was writing at that time and I had the amazing experience of having a show I wrote, had producers tapped me to write a show. And so here I was 32 years old, although my marriage was ending. I was on set in North Carolina and I was watching a whole crew of people would say my words and do my work. And, and here I was on set, right? You're thinking, this is it. This is what I wanted. And just feeling so sad. Mm. Just that connection of, is this what it really is? Is this what I've been working towards? You know, also going through a divorce, but I remember hearing the Lord say on that set to me, are you going to be okay if this is all you have? And I remember I got back to L.A. and it was a great this time in my career as far as things happening and just thinking I'm living this dream and more life happens and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I remember sitting in a producer's home in Malibu and it's like you can see all the ocean. It's like a moving moment. And then handing me a script and saying, we want to help you executive produce this. And at that time, I also I was always kind of looking in the nonprofit world. And so I had this opportunity. I can either move forward with the dream that I thought, or I can go take this job as a church secretary. And against all odds, and against like what everyone was telling me to do, I took the job as a church secretary and walked away from what I had been trying to do forever. And the reason I did that is because I needed to learn how to love God with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. I needed Jesus to be real, it to be okay if my life was just me and Jesus without the calling, without the dream. I just needed him to know how to love him for him. Changed my life. It completely opened the door. I met my husband during that time, and I would have never had the confidence to even date him if I hadn't had this little job as a church secretary, you know? And I watched all my other things in my career kind of fall away and just the pain of not meeting people's expectations and just being okay with saying to people, no, this is what I need to do to love God. Because all that, all that calling, all that stuff, all those ideas of what I was going to be, even all that talent, whatever, all that is vapor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We are loving God first, mm-hmm. you know, or all that really can be dangerous to us and really dangerous to us yeah loving the lord first with all of our heart you know so now i'm married to an incredible man (laughs) who's who's just so much more than i could have hoped for or imagined and Mm -hmm. it's you know god really redeemed the story of not having a father 
as I watched my husband parent my kids, but also how my husband took care of me, how I was dating while we were dating. And my husband's dream for his future was never like mine, which was never like career oriented. He wanted a family. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one time him saying to me, there was an opportunity for him to move and, and would I move with him? This was maybe two months into dating. I knew I couldn't do it. I didn't know him well enough or whatever. And, And so I said, no, I don't have peace about it. And so he called me and he said, that's fine. I won't do it. And he said, my desire is not to be a successful man. My desire is to make us successful. Mm-hmm. And I think about that, about God and our relationship with the Lord. God's desire is not to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. God's desire is to have relationship with his children who he loves. And That's now cool. I was this past week, I was, I was signing a contract on an old script I wrote a long time ago. And in it, in this contract, they offer me this role in it. And I'm like, sure, maybe, but that's not where the dream is anymore. Mm. The dream is to love Jesus with mm-hmm. everything I have and to communicate who he is to people that either are believers, but don't know that he can tangibly change the mm-hmm. circumstances of our life or, or to people that don't know him. I love that so much. Well, and essentially, as you got healthier, your calling changed. Totally. Totally. How would you encourage people to stay within their own story, their own journey, if they're going through a divorce? Can you speak a a word of hope or encouragement to those that might be listening that are just recently or freshly on the other side of a divorce? For me, having a community of girlfriends like you that I could call to and they could speak life into me was really, really important. Number two, allowing the Lord to really come into that space of divorce. I think for a lot of people, they feel a lot of shame about divorce and feel like they've sinned. So it's hard to like let God in, right? I remember someone even saying, well, is this God, could it be God's will for you to divorce? Like, People Mm. come at you with that a lot. Well, sometimes there's no choice. That's what happens. But remembering that God is coming with you. Mm -hmm. He is just as near. In fact, he promises to be near to the brokenhearted. And a lot of us are really brokenhearted Mm -hmm. when we come out of divorce. And then I think the third or the second, I'm not sure what number I'm on, I would say is there is hope. I am a better wife now. And I think part of that is because of my divorce. That circumstance is not your forever. There's so much more that God can have for you. You do not have to die to that dream of family. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. So for those of you that are listening, if you, you know, I've heard it. If you're driving, find a wide spot in the road so you can pull over, take some notes. If you need to re-listen again, just to write those things down, the words that Susanna has spoken are so true. And just knowing that God is close to the brokenhearted and lifts up those that are crushed in spirit, He promises to draw near. Amen. Susanna, what place are you between that we can be praying for? I'm primarily like a stay-at-home mom. That's what I tell everyone I do. But I think I'm really in this place. My oldest is getting ready to go to kindergarten. And we are in several transitions. We're selling our first home. But we're also kind of 
figuring out, do I have a career right now? What does that look like? Is it still on the side or is it going to be something that's going to be coming transition more fully into my life? And then also my husband and I both have an incredible heart for adoption. Wow. It's really seeing what that next step looks like for us and really what the Lord has for us. Where does he want us to go? Right. What is, what does that look like? So it's, and so, yeah, that's where we're at. Awesome. I know you don't have life completely figured out, but you're doing a pretty good job of just staying connected to the source of life. It's an honor to call you friend. Thanks again, Suze. Love you. I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of the Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.